The following is a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. All right, welcome to the third gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 4th of April. I am your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and remember to add your hit points when you level up while you're gathered at the meeting table. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised people haven't in my Monday night gaming, gaming group haven't beaten my ass. We, we actually because... do double check your character sheet when you're not there. And, you know, and rightly so. I, I've, I'm not even going to complain about that at all. Because we fixed your skill points last time. My skill points were off too? Yes, they were. <laughs> Did I, like, was I up or down? You're up. Uh, you 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 gained some skill points. So, oh, hey! So, yeah, it was See, a positive. At least I don't cheat the wrong way. This is true. <laughs> at least I'm not that guy because nobody likes that guy. Brad Ludwig plays Nolan, worst gamer ever. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the game, it's a shame that I suck at it so bad. No, no, no. This um, <laughs> just, just numbers parts. Because <laughs> math is hard. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, the voices that you're hearing, uh, first off, is uh, the second in command here at the Adventure Party. That is uh, Glenn Bittner, creator of the RPG Mist Runner. How are you, sir? I am quite well, thank you. Excellent. Now, the other voice that you heard is our guest this evening, and his name is John Malig. And, uh, John is a mental health professional which definitely helps in the RPG world, uh, <laughs> especially with this topic that we're going to be talking about today. And he runs a large RPG group, uh, the Monday night group that I'm a part of. And, and he runs more often than not. And uh, occasionally John does get uh, sanity breaks and gets to play <laughs> other games. And our group typically is what? Eight? Eight players. Eight yeah. players, which... <sighs> I think the max I've run is six, and that can get a little hairy. And when you get to eight and above, you need to have that mental health uh, credentials uh, <laughs> under your belt a to, little bit, yeah. to, to pull I've, that off. I, I've run up to a 12-player player game once. Oh, God. That was, uh, that was um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll and, get to that. And, and so, uh, the, yeah, and that's the reason why we're going to be talking to John uh, today, is we want to talk about running large groups and the pros and cons of running a large RPG gaming group, things that you might need to look out for things that may be better with a larger group and things that may be worse with a larger group. And we're just going to sit down and we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, welcome to the adventure party, John. Hello. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> now uh, we're going to start off uh, talking about uh, a few of the big gaming news stories that uh, that caught our eye briefly, and we are going to start this week with Glenn. Me? Oh, yes, you, sir. All right. One of the things I found is that there was a game produced by Fantasy Flight uh, a while back called Cave Troll. It's actually had several incarnations and has been out of print for a short time. 
and it's coming back, which makes me happy. It's a, it's a strategy game that wears a fantasy skin. So what it is is you have an ancient dungeon has been discovered filled with treasure for anyone to claim. Unfortunately, this information is no secret, and others have heard of the same dungeon, and even now they race to seize the gold before you. Your time is limited. Gather your forces and enter the dungeon. So in Cave Troll, you get to uh, control both uh, heroes and monsters, and you place them in different rooms, uh, basically trying to position yourself to claim the most gold. So heroes will help you claim gold. Monsters can help push uh, other heroes out of the room as well as kill other heroes. It's uh, a nifty little strategy game that surprised me when I first played it because I saw the, the box, which is a picture of a cave troll, and all these little plastic figures. I thought it would be uh, another random roll and move through the dungeon type thing like we've seen before. But there's actually a fair amount of strategy. You have to know when to play which heroes, because once you play them, they're out there. You can't just keep moving one guy around and using your best hero to do everything. You have to play your thief strategically. You have to know when to play your play your orc, when to play your wraith, and all these different monsters and heroes. Hmm. It's uh, been one of my favorites for a long time. Unfortunately, you haven't been able to get it for a while, unless you want to fork out the insane dollars that people on eBay think that these <laughs> games are worth. And as good as a game it is, it's not worth that much. <laughs> um, and there's one thing is they're including in the new version uh, so the previous versions you control both heroes and monsters and then in the second edition they have added uh, some different variant abilities uh, for, the, for the heroes and for the monsters as well and that will be included in this newest edition as well um, and they are saying and Fantasy Flight's usually pretty good on, they don't really give exact dates, they'll give rough time frames, and the rough time frames usually are pretty good, and they're saying third quarter for this one. So for those who don't know the quarter system, this will probably show up around September, October, just in time for Christmas, hopefully. Ooh, hopefully. Are they... Hopefully. Well, I, I work in retail, so I always hope stuff <laughs> comes out before Christmas, because <laughs> yeah. that's when I will hopefully sell the most of it. <laughs> and some companies haven't figured that out yet, and they either don't print enough so we run out in September, or they release their game in January. Uh, people have all that excess money from, from what? I don't know. I, you know, working in, uh, especially comic books and retail, like I did for, for quite some time and selling some, some of the game stuff, you know, the best times of the year for sales were always, especially when I was living in lacrosse doing this, it was, uh, October was, was good because then students had, found stuff they you know were comfortable with the campus and whatnot and they were starting to explore and taking some of that money that they got from mom and dad and started spending it to get some of the creature comforts uh and some of the fun things that they want to do and then your next swing was always starting uh, like beginning of november for christmas and then once you hit january things were dead until like the end of february like mid-april and that's just like a horrible time to release anything new because everybody has just blown their wad for Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, it was always disheartening whenever you'd hear a company go, hey, we're releasing something first quarter. It's like, why? What, what possessed you to do that, really? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, the hardest part now in the game industry is you have, you have Gen Con, and they will launch these games at Gen Con, and then... I sometimes won't get those games until after the new year. Yeah. So I've got people begging me for them, and I don't have them. And I'm like, why? 
you had him at Gen Con. Yep. Did, I mean, yeah. did you sell your whole print run? I don't. I, I don't s- get it at times. I mean, I, I know sometimes they'll 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 air freight in a supply to last them, which I obviously can't do with the whole thing because yeah. I don't want to pay two hundred dollars <laughs> per book. Yeah, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. But it's you know, and the, the worst part is, is you have the people who will go to Gen Con when there's this hot game. Uh, some of the ones this year was like like Dead of Winter was a hot one, and they buy up four, five, six, seven copies, knowing that they can flip those on eBay as soon as they go home for two to three times the cover. Yeah. Church running. Well, while, while I do uh, encourage capitalism and free enterprise, <laughs> there's also screwing your fellow man uh, and, and fellow gamer that, that really kind of sucks. You know, I remember, uh, I think it was White Wolf released their second edition of Werewolf hardcover at Gen Con and then promptly said, well, you know, we printed all this stuff for Gen Con. We're not going to have anything, you know, available for like another two months to the, to the regular stores. And it was like, I was glad I was at Gen Con and I laid down my money gladly to, to, to get that. But I felt so bad for everybody else that had to wait another two months to, to, to enjoy that, you know, second edition, mm-hmm. uh, all the updates and all the all the changes that they did for for Werewolf, and that just seems like a kind of a crappy deal. I mean, not everybody's going to get the Gen Con, and this is back when Gen Con was in Milwaukee. So living in Wisconsin, it was pretty easy to get the Gen Con. Now it's in Indianapolis, and I, you know, I haven't gone to Gen Con since it moved from from Milwaukee. And and I probably won't. I am uh, forced to go for my job. Yeah, boohoo. <laughs> oh, arg. Now that said, I would go, but the the amount of expense for travel and you know the hotel room and whatnot, I uh, it, it's not. I, I have other things now. Now that I'm a you know grown ass man and at the age of forty four, <laughs> I have other things I need to spend my money on, like property taxes and and hookers. You know, uh, <laughs> no, no hookers, <laughs> booze maybe, uh, but no hookers. Those are expensive. Those are very expensive, <laughs> and uh, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, so I'm told. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, I really don't uh, really don't go to Gen Con anymore. So it always it always makes me a little sad when somebody says, "Yep, we're going to showcase it at Gen Con, and you're going to have to wait, you know, two three months before the general public is going to get it." That just seems like a raw deal. Seems like a really raw deal. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Firefly, the role-playing game. The, the core book PDF is now available. Woo-hoo. Have either of you played Firefly, the RPG? I have a copy of the hardcover on my shelf, <laughs> which does not answer your question because I have not played it, but I have <laughs> I, I haven't played it, but uh, I'm guessing it uses a similar system uh, to what they use for the Battlestar Galactica RPG, because I think that was uh, both were Margaret Weiss, were they? Uh, that sounds familiar. Let's see. That, that's who had the, the license previously. I, I don't know if that... <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of copies. Uh, yes, Firefly <laughs> is Margaret Weiss. Okay. And it, it yeah. does use similar system Mistrunner because yep. I borrowed some stuff out of the older version of Firefly when I was making Mistrunner. Really? Yes, that was one of the influences on the system. Okay. Well, there you go. 
So, folks, if you enjoy Firefly, you too could pick up a copy of Mist Runner <laughs> and uh, and enjoy the hell out of Mist Runner. Uh, Firefly, the <laughs> stop. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the pdf for the rpg is uh, 350 pages it's a full color game the uh core book includes the detailed episodes <laughs> guide for all 14 episodes uh game master characters including niska badger patience and more over 30 pre-generated player characters you can play as mal and the serenity crew or one of 24 archetypes that's kind of cool you know, I don't think I would want to play as the original crew. That I'd want would to, be, yeah. I'd want to play in the universe. It, it, it's kind of like uh, the uh, Marvel has a uh, also uh, uses Cortex, and uh, and they're uh, and it was like, oh, you can play as Spider Man or the Hulk, and I'm like, but I don't want to play as Spider Man yeah. or the Hulk. I'd like <laughs> to do my own original thing. And then we got somebody warped reality, and then it was just broken. No, oh, boo! Uh, thanks, Rob. <laughs> Of course it was Rob. Of course. Uh, Rob, for those of you, uh, uh, Rob was our guest last week. Um, and Rob is a hell of a player, and uh, I'm proud to call him my best friend, but he is one of the per one of the people that you know that you can expose them to the rules of something and his brain works. And, you know, we talked about min-maxing last week and, and how to, how to properly structure stuff like that. That's an appropriate choice. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if I was going to do that, he was my, he was my absolute number one choice to, to speak to that topic. Uh, that said, you know, if you expose Rob to the rules, he will, his brain, he just, even in his sleep, I bet you his subconscious <laughs> works to, how can I work that system to, you know, and, and, not to say, I'm not saying bad things about Rob. It's one of those enjoyable things where it's like a cautionary tale. You know, when I, you know, I, I spoke last time about running this, uh, this Dirgewood campaign back in the day. And when Rob was my player, he wanted a, he wanted to have a special weapon. He wanted to have his power actually work through a weapon. And I said, okay. And it was bonded to him. And I said, mm, okay. <laughs> and then he like hit me with, okay. And looking at the points, this gun can do this. And I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> and me being like a newer game master, I had not. And this kind of speaks to a little bit of what we're going to be talking about later on is managing players in the game. <laughs> And we got to a point where a situation came up. He used his gun and he was doing ridiculous amounts of damage uh, in, in White Wolf. And he was, you know, rolling like a bucket of D10s. And, it, and I had that moment where I'm like, okay, uh, we finished the combat. And then I had to have an aside with him and say, <laughs> about those guns. <laughs> and Rob is the person who will always be the first to push the limits but when you say okay let's back this off he will be the first one to say okay i understand and it's never been an issue ever yeah because that's the kind of guy he is mm -hmm. he will always try to push the limits of what he can do to see what he can get away with and it's there's no malice involved he just wants to know how much he can do of a thing and that's part of his fun 
in his game. Uh, but like I said, there's no malice involved in it at all. So I, I don't even know where I was going with you, this now. We were talking it. We'll go back to Firefly. We'll go back to Firefly now because <laughs> I completely, I'm, I'm, I'm old. And uh, I completely <laughs> forgot where I was going with that. Um, anyways, uh, oh, we were talking about uh, playing different characters yes. and the archetypes and uh, possibly playing Spider-Man and whatnot and things you can get away with and not. Okay. Outside of the bedroom. Wait, I can play Spider-Man and Firefly? <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. Outside of the bedroom. <laughs> <nonetheless>. Stop. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, dozens of sample assets and uh, complications, uh, advancement rules, I'm assuming that would be to uh, level up your character. Tips for wor world building in the verse. What's yours is mine, a fully playable episode, mm -hmm. perfect for first-time GMs, which is always, always good. Chinese teaching tool and phrases spoken during the show, which I think is awesome, uh, considering that... When they created the show, they accidentally went with Mandarin as opposed to, uh, I can't remember, the, the standard Chinese that is spoken. I can't remember what that is called. Mandarin is like highfalutin mm -hmm. Chinese, and they accidentally went with Mandarin. Whoopsie. And after they wrote stuff, they're like, oh, crap, we went with Mandarin. Okay, well, <laughs> we just roll with it now. It's too late. <laughs> uh, maps of all five systems. Uh, Serenity ship and engine schematic. That's kind of cool. Interactive crew and ship sheets. Print them out as is or type in the details. That's nice. Save and print. So you've got uh, interactive PDFs to create your characters. That is very, very nice. sweet. Very nice. Uh, the Firefly RPG core rulebook is compatible with the Echoes of War adventures and all other uh, releases of the Firefly role-playing game line, which are all sold separately. The Firefly role-playing game is based on the hit TV show, Joss Whedon, and I can't believe I just read that because if you're listening to this show, <laughs> I'm willing to bet you know what the hell Firefly is and who Joss Whedon is. So that was the series that came after Glowworms, correct? You are officially done talking now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the show, everybody. No. Um, <laughs> so uh, this, uh, this article came from penandpaper.net. And I'm assuming that you can get that at like uh, drive-through RPG or any other place that you can, uh, where you would purchase your gaming books online. Because I'm sure you wouldn't be able to go to a store and I want to buy the PDF. <laughs> I'd like to buy a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, um, what is it? It's drive-through RPG is mm -hmm. one of the ones that if I want to get a pdf version of something that's where i yep. typically end up going to although uh i did back the kickstarter of chill and i just got the notification that they are ready to go there i will get the book in the pdf version in august and one of at the level that i donated at i get a credit in the thing and i had to give them what name i wanted to put in there so nice yeah, that was kind of cool. So, uh, again, that was because I donated through Kickstarter. But, yeah, I highly recommend Drive-Through RPG for purchasing PDFs of, of game systems. So, there you go. If you want to have a very portable copy of Firefly, you can get it in PDF form now. Woohoo! Huzzah. 
All right, Glenn, yours is the third and final story. All right, uh, so Gale Force 9, uh, a while ago, started doing these D&D collector minis. These are kind of higher-end, uh, limited-edition series of minis, and they have two new ear, th- uh, ear, ear-themed <laughs> sets. Yes, ear, no, air-themed <laughs> sets coming out. Um, or actually, they have come out. Uh, the first is the Air Myrmidon, which is an elemental bound to a magical set of armor and used at the whims of its creator. And the other is uh, Arisi Kalanoth and Air Priest, who might have made the actual Myrmidon that we talked about earlier. Uh, it's a two-mini set. Uh, they're both limited edition. I believe they're limited to 1,500 each. This is the type of thing you get if you have that uh, what that mythical thing called disposable income. <laughs> yeah. that, these are the types of things that you would spend it on. Uh, these are not... These are generally not what you would buy for your standard tabletop game, unless you know you're playing with Bill Gates or something. Um, <laughs> they're not that expensive, but they're they're going to be they're going to be uh, more up there in price. If you haven't seen any of the collector sets, they are really nice to look at. Uh, there's some really good sculpts on these, and uh, these ones I saw. You can uh, check it out on tabletopgamingnews.com. Has some pictures of them, and they're just absolutely beautiful. I get to see them and drool over them every year when I go to some of the different trade shows, knowing that I could bring them into my store, but they would just sit there until I had a moment of weakness and spend too much money on them. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So Gale Force 9, I have not heard of them before. Are they big? They, in... they also do the Firefly board game. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're often abbreviated as just GF9. Okay. But yeah, they, they've done... Of course, and I spelled it wrong, but either way, in my notes, <laughs> I spelled it wrong. I should know how to spell it. I've seen their name enough times. But, uh, yeah, they, they do they do some board games. They do some miniature games as well. All right. Thank you for that, Glenn. You're welcome. Our next piece uh, of news comes from Ryan Murphy with the Galactic Gaming News, and he is our uh, one of our contributors who covers the digital beat in gaming, and he has a new update for us. So take it away, Ryan. Welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of March 31st. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. First up this week is a follow-up from our last segment with Halo 5. They've released dueling ads that shed light on the story for the new game. On Sunday, during Walking Dead's season finale, Microsoft aired two ads for Halo 5, one focusing on new character Agent Locke's point of view and the other from the Master Chief. However, both ads play off the Hunt the Truth marketing by showing a similar situation with roles reversed. Who's telling the truth? Is Master Chief the bad guy? Is Agent Locke a playable character? We'll find out more by keeping our browsers locked to huntthetruth.tumblr.com and on October 27th when the game releases. It feels like Halo 5 is one of the only games from the three big first parties that are actually going to release a game this winter, so kudos to you, Microsoft. Our second story this week takes a look at Star Citizen that has a new ship up for sale and it's going to cost you $250 and you're not going to be able to play it just yet. How does an Aegis, Aegis, I'm pronouncing that wrong, Vanguard sound to you? Well, through a limited concept sale, you can purchase it until April 6th 
for $250. Star Citizen continues to be a game that I know little about, while some people continue to throw money at it. The game has more than $77 million in funding from backers. During the sale, the Vanguard comes with lifetime insurance, sounds like a good thing, on the hull, and a pair of decorative items, poster and an in-game mini-model, for each player's hangar. The sale is meant to continue funding in the game, as has been the case with previous ship sales. Final story this week is the new science fiction game to check out, and that is Axiom Verge, out now on PS4. This new science fiction release is a Metroidvania-style game that puts you in the shoes of a failed scientist who died in an accident, only to awaken in a mysterious alien world. Sounds mysterious. It's out today for $20, but for the first week, it's $17.99 for PlayStation Plus subscribers. And will release on PS Vita and PC at some point in the near future. I, for one, am looking forward to playing this one as I love the Metroid games. And if Nintendo is refusing to give us a new proper Metroid, we're just going to have to rely on indies to give us what we want. That's it for this week. This has been Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, be sure to check out The Gamers In at gamersinpodcast.com. Each week, Jocelyn Moffat and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. All right, thanks for that report, Ryan. All right, we're going to talk about the Kickstarter Spotlight. We're going to revisit last week's Kickstarter, which was the Dwarven Forge City Builder Terrain System. Speaking of disposable income. Speaking (laughs) of having serious disposable income, it finished up April 2nd, and they had 2,719 backers that pledged just over $2.3 million. (laughs) Wow. I'm trying to see what they had originally asked for on this. Um, Hey, look at that. Um, (laughs) They needed $100,000 for their goal. So they blew way past it. (laughs) They may have hit some stretch goals. Uh, Yes, they absolutely (laughs) hit some stretch goals. Like, like we said last week, the Dwarven Forge stuff is some of the most beautiful terrain you will ever find on this green earth, <laughs> but you are going to pay for it. And if you have the disposable income for it, you know, God bless. Um, it's going to be some of the best stuff that you'll ever get. Uh, Along with that unicorn ride. Yes. <laughs> but um, y- y- well worth uh, the money spent if, if that's how you roll. So... Congrats to Dwarven Forge for blowing way past their goal. And uh, this week, Glenn, uh, I'm going to have you take this one because this is one that you found that you thought was was pretty cool and something that we should know about. So uh, yes. tell us more. So once upon a time, there was this awesome game known as Car Wars. Car Wars, now, for I... those who aren't familiar with it, it was basically uh, cars and you were fighting. Thus, Car Wars. If, you think, I think if I you've ever it. seen The Road Warrior, which if you haven't, stop listening to us right now, go watch that, and then come back. <laughs> you won't wait, but you can pause this. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like that in, in tabletop form. Originally made, originally made by Steve Jackson, and last year they did a Kickstarter to reprint the original game, and now they're back on Kickstarter again to give us Car Wars Arena, 
what this gives you, um, it gives the hardcore auto-do list. That's what you were called back in those days. You were an auto-do list. Uh, it gives you more locations to show off your skills and blow up your opponents. The box set contains five single-sided 22 by 34-inch arena maps. The cars generally in, in Car Wars are little cardboard chip pieces, so they're, they're smaller. This is not a high-quality component game. This is a <laughs> functional game. It's a, 20, it's a $20 game for the base set, and the expansion is $20. They're very affordable, and they're a lot of fun. The rules are also going to be covering uh, some uh, revised versions of the popular variants they had back in the day, corporate team uh, duels, uh, the AA Duelist Pro Circuit, or I'm sorry, AADA Pro Circuit, and things like that. Many of the designs that they have, they've appeared in various Car Wars supplements over the years. Uh, they used to, back when they, back in the heyday of, of gaming in the 80s, supplements came out about every three hours for most games. <laughs> they were just, they, they were supplements all the time for games. So they're including some of that stuff into this set. They've got some interesting stretch goals. Right now, If they haven't hit any of them yet. They're currently at 41, almost 42,000 out of 50,000 they need, but there's still 24 days to go. There's, I really see no way that they don't hit their goal and exceed it. I don't know if they'll get all over the top of their stretch goals, but some of these are very attainable. First one being at 75,000, they take all the maps and they make them double-sided. So you're going to get 10 full-size maps to play on. Nice. Um, which is a lot better than what it had in the old days, because the old days they weren't even big enough for you to play on. They were kind of like they were, they weren't really that useful. <laughs> This one actually, it, you get these great full-color ones, full-size, that are going to be usable right away. At 90000 uh, they're going to throw in uh, the Car Wars Arenas 2 with two more maps. Uh, and necessary rule sheets for that. And the Boris Arena pack will be shipped with the box set. And, you know, it goes up from there. They add on, they've got like a patch you can get. If, if they get to 105000 120, they... Expand the Car Wars Arenas 2 to double-sided maps to give you four more maps. And they a lot of this, they just give you more maps and more maps and more maps. Because as a gamer, I can never have enough maps. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I was I was very sad when uh, I had a flood in my old house in the basement and a whole box of maps that I went back no. to oh. plus years. I mean, the original oh. Greyhawk maps, all that oh. stuff. Destroyed. So... But uh, this is a game, I've loved this game, and we actually used to play it. Sometimes we would play it on the maps that, that were, you know, came with the game, but a lot of times we just played on a tabletop. And the guy who originally introduced me to the game had actually modded Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars. <laughs> uh, with, awesome. like, with, like, you know, uh, sculpting putty and toothpicks, and the number of times I jabbed myself with various <laughs> toothpicks and paper clips and all the stuff he had put on there, but... It's a blast. It really is. It's 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 one of those games that really takes me back to my to my childhood. I picked up the the original starter when they reprinted it last year. I played it like three times already. I love it. It's just it's a it's just a fun little game, and it's it's so reminiscent of some of the games you got in the eighties because they didn't change anything about it. It's still the the little cardboard, you know, flat, super thin cardboard things, which is why most of us went with the Matchbox car route because. The pieces don't last really long. Yeah. yeah. But the I nice thing is is that true. you can just print out new ones on cardstock because that's pretty much what these are. Yeah. That's not even cardboard. It's card. They're, they're cardstock pieces is what they are. 
but well, you know the nice we have available to us now is things like instaprint or something like that where if you can get an original you can go and get a laser color copy on cardstock for a song you know maybe a buck oh yeah know, well the first can, thing i did when i got this when i got this one in is i made uh scans of all the sheets sure. before i cut everything yeah. out yep so if i need to i can just go print up a whole new sheet for, you know, for the, well, I, I own a printer in my house, so I can just do that. Yep. I'm, I'm nope, one of there's, those there's that too. higher echelon income houses that owns their own printer. Ooh. What? That was I bet he's got a refrigerator months. and everything, too. Ooh, I bet you he's got running water. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I, like? Who needs I, live, I live by the big city, not, not you hicks up there, up north. <laughs> just grab the right leaves. Yeah, we and, just got uh, the internet yeah. last week. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating all right yeah and at 24 days to go and they've they're at like less than nine thousand away yeah uh, to reach that and like you said steve jackson games you're hard pressed to find a steve jackson game that sucks i, I dare you to find one that sucks and car wars is one of the easiest things in the world to set up and play uh, yeah it's straightforward uh, you, you you crack open the box and you play. I mean, it, it, there's very little setup involved, and it's it's a good time. So, uh, if you've got the if you got the twenty bucks, uh, that gets you the the box set with the maps, and you're good to go. And this will this will be in stores after, but you're probably gonna be looking sometime first or second quarter of 2016. So yeah, it looks like the you don't pick it up now, which actually they they're not delivering until December. Yeah, yep. Stores probably won't have it till May or June, most likely, of next year. Oh, wow. oof. Good, good so, yeah. chance. If you unless, wanna... unless they're like my store, and we got in on the retailer level, that we will actually get a few copies in, one of which we go on because I'll buy it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the nice benefits of working at a store like that, is as soon as something comes in, you can get it before it hits the shelf. Normally. Be, because well, be, because, the, because the people at my store, the people who work at my store, we're not. We actually like our customers. So if there's a really <laughs> high, if there's a really high demand game that comes out that we know we're not going to have a big supply of, yeah, we'll give the yeah. customers the first crack at it. If they don't get there in the first couple of weeks, well then I'm snatching snatching that sucker up. But we yeah. give the customers <laughs> the first crack on most things. See, you're a very scrupulous store. Yeah, and you know, make the people who who pay my salary happy <laughs> which is a very very good strategy to 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 have in business yeah all right so yes car wars arena is our kickstarter spotlight this week all right thank you glenn absolutely and now we move on to the interview with our guest john malig i have no comment <laughs> Uh, then you're free to go. All right. That's the show, everybody. Um, and uh, like I said uh, at the beginning of the show, our topic this week is managing large gaming groups and the pros and cons that kind of come with managing eight or more players. Six is still in... in for six me, is doable. Is six is very doable. But when you get to eight or more and you are doing something, you know, if you're, God help you if your group splits up, because <laughs> then, you know, you've got, if you've got a group of eight people and four people have gone one way and, you know, four people have gone the other. Somebody winds up getting eaten by a gelatinous ooze. That's uh, invisible. Oh God, that was so awful. 
So awful. Uh, not for me. <laughs> no. Well, you were running it, ass. Um, <laughs> so, but then you get, you know, the four people that aren't doing something at that moment in time. And then, you know, then there's table talk of, hey, you know, this thing. And did you see this thing on the internet? And let me pull out my smartphone and show you the YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. And I've been guilty of that. We've all been guilty of that. Um, I will admit. Although, as a player, I'm the player that at certain points I get old and crotchety. And I'm like, God, I can't hear anything. Just shut up. And that's why I tell you to sit near me, Brian. <laughs> when I, that, that's, that's my piece of advice number one, is that the way you structure it is wherever your GM is, then you have spellcasters sitting closest, then your rogues, then your fighters. Because the fighters are going to do the fighter thing. Yep. And it's not really, you don't need a whole lot of explanation. But your spellcasters always have something interesting generally going on yeah. that requires a little bit more specification. So yeah. That, and it's like, that's, that's pro tip number one. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know, I, and I, for better or worse, I tend to play support classes like this. Why? <laughs> I, you know, I, you you try so hard, but your efforts are not appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. Um, I end up playing support classes, which typically means, you know, I, I've got like three books open and I'm like, okay, I got my spells and I'm like, well, okay, what condition has now changed? Can I use this spell? <laughs> well, now this jackass is in the way. If I throw this <laughs> spell out, somebody's going to get really hurt or killed. Okay. Now I need to change my strategy and I don't probably think as fast on my feet that an enough to warrant being playing the support class like i do um that <laughs> do said I, I do all right that said you know when you've got an, a situation where you've got eight people playing what approach do you take in game prep to deal with some of these issues with table talk with the group splitting up with all of that. Do you take a different approach doing a module game where something's been pre-prepped and handed to you versus a game that comes from your brain, a scenario that you've created? How do you approach those two different types of games with running a large group and managing a large group in mind? Okay. Uh, so with a module, um, you know, you can kind of, because you've got the, 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 uh, all of your stuff right there. And you might adjust, you know, number of enemies and so forth up depending on the size, but also be willing to flex that number back down if the if your party has split. And it's something that you have to keep in mind all the time is to uh, keep those uh, those kind of factors in line and uh, in mind. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of flexing on the fly is, is really the, the best way I can, I can put it. Knowing your players really, really helps. Um, and knowing who tends to stick together, who tends to, to, to break apart based both on the player's personalities, but also on the personalities of the characters they're playing. Yeah. And uh, so, um, you know, with a module, sometimes it, I might pause a combat in the middle of the combat to switch over to the other group just to help minimize that table talk to keep them both kind of vested in it. With If it's something that I've written myself... Um, since I usually tend to cater to my players and their characters, I usually can find a way to make it somehow interesting for their players 
and, and for their characters to know what's going on in that situation so that they're vested in that outcome so that they will minimize that table talk. Okay. Um, the biggest the thing that I find a lot of times in modules is people get split up and they're like, I don't care about what's going on in that room over there. Yeah. I'm over here doing my thing. Whereas, uh, you know, I've got my amnesia game that I've been running where, you know, you guys may split up, but you're like, what's going on over there? I don't know what's going on. So I'm going to pay attention to what's going on because I want to know. <laughs> you know, I, the time that I find that to be the most problematic is usually during dungeon crawls because that, that is kind of the, the time where you're like, oh, not that interested in what's going on. The other thing that can help with that is to keep in mind your perception checks, you know, you're in an enclosed space, sound carries, yeah, give them a chance. You know, yeah. they, they may come in, running in at the end, but they'll, they'll be there. Okay. Now, Glenn, uh, it, when we were talking last week, you said that you really haven't played a game in a, a long time, but you've run. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, and I know that you've, you know, with GlennCon, the, the con that you run in Milwaukee, and, and I'm, you've run at Gen Con, haven't you? Yeah. Okay. So I'm willing to bet that you've run a game with eight or more people. So what is your approach similar or do you have a different way of looking at it? Um, in some ways it's similar. I, I haven't run a really big game in actually since Gen Con was still in Milwaukee. It was the last time I ran that okay. big because most of the time when I'm running a con game, there's a set table in it. Okay. It's, it's, Six players is the cutoff. If you're number seven, sorry, you know, because odds are if there's a number seven, there's a number eight, and a number nine, a number ten. Yeah. And mm -hmm. places like Gen Con now, people are they're, you're paying to play, and I'm not going to make it a lesser experience because I'm trying to fit twelve people at the table. Yeah. That yeah. said, I have done it in the past. I even ran a Mister game at Gen Con on the fly with a bunch of Stevens Point people back in the day. <laughs> That ended up being, I think, like nine players. I generally try to keep them together as much as possible. And it's, I generally also try, I try my best not to let one player monopolize because even even in smaller games, when you have three, four, five players, there's there can be that one player who is trying to call all the shots, the alpha player trying to, you know, organize and do everything. And you have to really clamp down on that the more players you have because everyone's time you know, then my time becomes, it's, you know, it's a premium thing. And I will, when I'm, when the combat's happening, I'm going on the tail and going, what are you doing? And if they don't have an answer, quick, like, all right, you're passing. Because yeah, I'm like, yeah. you know, this is, this is combat. You don't have to sit there in time to go, well, let me see here. Uh, you're swinging a sword at me, so my options would be, well, okay, you've now been a Yeah, nice I, I, am. I know, I know, and I'm so horrible at that because we've been playing... Uh, in the villains game that we've been we've been running, um, who created that again? That is uh, Fire Mountain Games, Gary McBride. Okay, so for the past four years, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the it's past four years, we're on module five of we'll, six. We'll be going on to module six. Okay, we're we're in the home stretch. And the whole concept of this is you are playing villains. You are not the heroes. Your job is to bring about the reign of Asmodeus in this world. So everything you do is evil. And we've kind of found one that Rob and I banded together immediately. Of course. Um, and we are the most evil players, I think. 
Barring well, me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, well. You're, what you're, do we do with the dead guard? Well, cut them up and put them in the pickle jars. <laughs> what? Yeah, some of the suggestions that you give are like, oh, wow. I, I didn't even go that far. It's evil. It, yeah. I, you know, and it's weird because in, the, in that dynamic, Rob and I are the ones that really, I think, have grasped being evil a little bit more. And the other, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to toot my horn here. But, you know, the other guys are more used to playing heroic campaigns and are more comfortable with that type of role play. And, and there's no shame in that. And what ends up happening more often than not is I will be trying to play and I will, I will be really quiet and I'll be really focused on what I'm doing. And the reason why is, one, my character is far smarter than I am in real life. <laughs> and he's got an intelligence of 24. I'm nowhere near that. So it's like, I've got to be focused to be like, okay, what's the brilliant thing that we can do here? Cause somebody's going to ask and I need to be ready. <laughs> and then the other thing too, is trying to, especially when we get into combat, having spells prepared and what I end up finding happening one, I have a touch of ADD. So, <laughs> I, and, and that's a legitimate thing. I have a touch of ADD. So it's like uh, all this stuff's going on around me and I'm like, I'm trying maybe to keep focus. Maybe you need focus. to develop that as a spell, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> touch of ADD. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> Character loses focus, combat focus, and like, you know. Uh, <laughs> loses one miscellaneous action. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I feel bad because John will go, okay, Brad, what are you doing? And I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> Son of a, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, it's great because he'll spend. He will spend the entire time like just going through his spells and, uh, and, yeah. and try. And he's got something. Oh and my, then like the person right before him will do something. He's like, "Son of a, you ass! You're going too fast." And I, I literally, and I have my, I have my spell cards out, and I'm flipping through and flipping through, and I'm like, "Okay, well, what if I do this? Well, can I boost? You know, because I'm playing a." Witch. We're playing Pathfinder, and I'm playing a witch class, which is a, it's like a, almost like being a wizard druid sork? Am I, I well, cleric? Yeah. Cleric, Are you wizard? a good witch? Or a bad oh, I'm, a ba witch. I'm a bad witch. He's a bad witch. I'm a very bad witch. Um, <laughs> His name almost or is a man Yeah. It's my, my, my character's name is Evo Shandor. <laughs> And my minion, well, my first minion was Gozer, uh, which ended up dying. And my second one is Clortho. So I'm sticking with the Ghostbusters theme because uh, why not? Because I suck at making names up. And I'm like, well, Evo, we're playing an evil game. And Evo popped into my head. And I'm like, yeah, Evo Shandor, doom. Uh, I'm done. There we go. Uh, character, character names uh, finished. So I always feel bad for John because he's trying to keep things moving along. And I'm like, I, something's I don't know do I need to buff somebody here what can I you know because I do have uh, you know I've got buffing spells and I've got offensive spells and I probably have a little bit more offensive than I should so I always have that moment of okay at this point in time should I be doing something offensive or should I be doing something to help the party and what I think I end up especially in long protracted combats is I've like run out of buffs and then I'm like okay now I've got offensive and I'm a, I'm a lightweight because I'm a witch. You know, I'm a spellcaster. So, you know, do I get behind somebody and start going pew, pew, pew over somebody's shoulder? Or, you know, so, you know, I Early up, on, you like to stand there and take it in the face. I did. <laughs> and, and then I got smarter, uh, and especially as we went up in levels, because right now we're at level eight, six, uh, six, 17? 17, I think, 17. yeah. So 
uh, now we've kind of reached a point where we're dealing with things that you know, while I have a hundred and I don't know, 170 hit points or something like that, which is uh, one of the beefier support level. I think this is the highest level character I've ever played. Yeah, I think it is pretty much for almost everyone in the group, uh, particularly barring if they started at a high level kind yeah. of thing. Yep. Yeah. We started at level one and, and, and went through and we've, naturally progressed to level 17 like we said we've been playing this for about four years now off and on the nice thing about our group is that john will take a break and then we'll just jump systems completely i mean we've played uh what was the world war ii oh uh uh talents and talent slash godlike yeah that's yeah. right uh which is a very fascinating uh system to play and, and we do that. We'll we'll play a system for a while. We'll take a break and we'll jump to another system. We'll play what we, Exalted and we'll mm -hmm. play. Uh, we've played Oathbound. We've played, yep. which which is still Pathfinder, but it was, yeah. it's it's a very different setting. It's a different flavor of of Pathfinder. God, I'm trying to think of some. Oh, we did Cthulhu Tech. Cthulhu Tech, yeah. So I mean, we've been we've been all over the place. So we've we've had that ability to to, to jump games, but always with at least eight players. So that's, uh, it, it feels like as the game system changes the dynamic of, well, I mean, you're, you're playing different characters who are role-played slightly differently. Do you find that as we jump from the different systems, do, does conflict management change based on the system? Like, and, and when I talk about in-game conflict, I'm talking between real people. Not not the characters. And there was a time we were playing with this guy, Jerry. God love him. Every once in a while, he'll do something, and I'm like, ah! And, and I've said that, and he's going to probably hear this, and, I, and we all say it to his face. God damn it, Jerry, what are you doing? And, and there have been times where I have snapped because... And that's my fault because I've been focusing really hard on trying to be this super intelligent person and trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And then he'll do something that's like, I, you just jumped out to do this and now somebody's going to die. Whether that's you because I'm out of healing spells or something. And his characters seem to be more often than not impulsive. And he'll run out and do something and it's like, Argh! and... I, there was one time I shouted at him because I was like, God damn it, Jerry. <laughs> um, and, and he like, whoa. Uh, and rightfully so. I shouldn't have snapped at him. And, and that was a dick move on my part. But I, I think at that moment, you stepped in and went, what? Uh, okay, calm it down. Yeah. Everything's yeah. good here. This is what we're going to do and, 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 and roll with it. Mm -hmm. So dealing with, I would say as a whole, our group is pretty evenly meshed we all get along pretty well yeah so we don't have a whole lot of you know nobody like wants to kick somebody's <laughs> ass after the game out in the park yeah lot. yeah yeah but do you more often than not feel like you do a lot of peacemaking in the game um, or some you know the the idea is that i i try to keep it focused on on here's what's going on in the game you know, we'll, we'll, we're just going to keep it going. And yeah, if somebody makes a, a, a call based, you know, not necessarily on their player's best interest or, or their character's best interest, you know, they make that call. And, but, you know, there's, the in some ways, the nice thing with a large group is that there is someone to kind of pick up the slack, so to speak. Yeah. And there's, so it's like, oh, uh, uh, okay. So that guy went down. 
not a big deal. We can still keep going with this. And, you know, and if, and if it looks like someone's going to drop, uh, I'm already thinking, where's the next point that I could work in another character? Uh, yeah. You know, how, <laughs> which in Jerry's case for the villains game has been, uh, it's getting more challenging, uh, partly because we're coming to the close of the campaign, but also because he, is, uh, he has become Death Funnel. Um, yeah, literally, that is his, we, we have a special <laughs> Rob made out of toothpicks. <laughs> a coffin that is a little bit larger than the size of a, a standard miniature, like your what 28 millimeter yeah, is the standard yeah. size. So, and it's painted red and that is, you know, it has a little Asmodian uh, symbol on yep. it. And that's like, okay, Jerry, here you go. Because he has, he's gone through three characters. Uh, let's see. There's, there, there was his rogue, his anti-paladin. And there was, uh, he kind of settled in on, on, Isabel, I believe. Yeah, the Medusa. Uh, yep, the the Medusa the now not. Medusa, yeah, yeah, former former Medusa, and now he's just double bound, which actually works in his favor because now it's really it's much more challenging for him to die die. Yeah. So when he got eaten by the gelatinous ooze uh, that was invisible, and everyone just stand ar- stood around and watched, uh, and then you know she got to reform afterwards. But <laughs> my brain being my brain, I'm like, boy, I would think there's some psychological scarring that goes on with that because that's got to hurt like a son. Of a bitch. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I'm regenerating. God, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was a very interesting. And you know, to be fair, Jerry's deaths in in the villains game, for the most part, are not of his own doing. He has simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And and he's got the dice of the dam some nights of that. Yeah. I wasn't there for the night that his anti paladin got <laughs> smoked, but his anti paladin character got smote so mightily that there were smoking boots left because John like double critted on him and it was like epic. It was like what a Lance. It was, it was a uh, mounted uh, Lance on a flying Mount uh, that hit him on a bridge. And uh, it was like like three natural twenties kind of like auto kill house rule type of thing, max damage and uh, had all the feats to trick that out. And uh, it was, it was disgusting. Yeah. And I remember getting the call from Rob. He's like, dude, <laughs> Jerry got totally smote, like epically smote. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, figures. <laughs> and you know, that poor guy. Because <laughs> that, yeah, that anti-paladin was just uh, wrong place, the wrong time. Oof. That was pretty much, uh, that could have been his character's uh, entire career summed up. Wrong place, wrong, wrong time. time. <laughs> because defending the horn and, it was connected via stairwells, uh, but it was like, what, 500 feet tall, yeah. something like that. And uh, running through the interior, and the two fighters have no fast means of travel, so they're just <laughs> running everywhere. And, you know, th- Jerry has had enough ex- – and this isn't pick on Jerry Knight. Jerry has had <laughs> enough experiences where his character has, has died a number of times. But conversely – I'm the kind of person who, when I take the time to roll up a character, I want that character to live. So I got kind of shitty that one night when it's like, you're down. I'm like, and I got really snippy and I felt bad about it afterwards, but I felt like somebody that was in the group could have done something Mm -hmm. and did not. And I got really upset about it, which probably says less about me and more about Jerry. How is his ability to like take it in stride? And, oh, okay, I'll make another character. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to make another character. It needs to live. Arr! 
That's um, why you have villainous action points, which <laughs> everyone in the group has burned uh, through many, many of them because I've killed everyone in the group at least once. Yes. Yes, you have. I wear that title with pride. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of that, though, I mean, do you, especially if you know, as a game master, you know what's coming up. You know that as people are making choices, they're probably not making good ones in some cases. Um, do you... I make that sound. <laughs> yeah, and he does, ladies and gentlemen. Do you find to keep a large group running smoothly, do you find yourself at certain points maybe subtly guiding things so that characters don't necessarily make a choice that you as a game master knows that that is going to probably end up in a total party kill with that one misstep. And we've had that, we've had that moment (laughs) you have where somebody has done something and where it was like a Leroy Jenkins moment. And it was like the domino started falling and Rob and I looked at each other like, Oh my God, here it comes. And we got lucky. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think it was so much luck as you pulled some punches. Uh, Maybe here and there, you know, but that, I mean, that but said, you know, I, part of that, that is I want to see the narrative continue. I like seeing the narrative of the of these characters in that situation. I think as a GM that you should certainly do that. If that's what you want to do, by all means, do it. Because part of the enjoyment of the whole gaming thing is it's all about the narrative. Yeah. And it's uh, it, it's, you know, so I'm like, OK, but at the same time, I'm willing to let it go to a certain point because. It makes it exciting. It gets everyone suddenly every every now all of a sudden everybody's real invested in what's going on now. Yeah. You know, you know. But a lot of times, a lot of a lot of that, I didn't have to do anything. Things worked out for you in just the right way. So, credit to most of you, <laughs> <laughs> and and a credit to you to putting up with a lot of our crap. Uh, I'm gonna throw but that. I, but I definitely will, you know, subtly steer people one direction or another, or make you a little paranoid about your choices. Which uh, yes. I just go, are you, are you sure are you want to sure? do that? Yeah. Sh- and I've come afoul of that. And, <laughs> and then I found myself going, uh, no. <laughs> he gets that look in his eye when, when we said we go down that tunnel. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I- yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm going to throw that one to you, Glenn. Uh, when you've run a larger group, do you find yourself tending to air more towards the narrative side to keep the story moving in a larger group? Or do you... Do you I, let people just, you know, things fall where they may based on people's choices? I think I go a bit more towards the narrative because it's it's easier to keep everyone going with the story. And it it also the more the more I'm 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 going with the narrative, the less likely it is for people to get sidetracked in their own personal discussions. Now mind yeah. the last time yeah. I ran a really big group, you know, this was it was in the era before smartphones and whatnot, so people yeah. couldn't if you wanted to see a YouTube yeah. video, somebody would go, "What's YouTube?" So, yeah. Um, <laughs> but there'd still be back then. The big, the big distraction at the table was people sorting magic cards, or if you're a Gen Con, people just going through their their general loot bag. And you just you have to do something to keep people interested. And if you're just if you're letting the players make you know basically just let it fall where it may, that's going to generally leave at least a couple of the players not really doing anything and not really caring what's going on because it's not affecting them in any way. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, uh, keeping that in mind and, and moving along on that same track, do you find yourself having a couple of things in your pocket that 
maybe weren't pre-planned in a module, weren't necessarily planned in your scenario that, that you've written yourself, where it's like, okay, if I feel that people are disengaging, I've got a list of, you know, say three things that could happen that could bring people back into focus. If I were prepared, Jim, I'm sure I would. <laughs> uh, but I have, I, I, you know, I, and the thing is, is I will prep quite a bit before a game. But like once I'm there running game, I will just be making it up and pulling it out of my butt. And, and it's just like in the moment, boy, you know what would be horrible right now? This. Let's do that. Let's, okay. let's make that happen. And usually if I pre-plan and uh, get everything set up and can justify my, my NPCs and, and opposition to the PCs uh, having some foresight or knowledge of, of them and their capabilities, then I will totally mess with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Remember uh, the battle at the bridge? <sighs> uh, yes, yes, I do. And, and Glenn, uh, same to you. Um, well... I have gigantic pockets, which are always full of things, because I, <laughs> I, I improv 90% of what I run already. Okay. I mean, for me, for me, a well-planned adventure is I have the main villain named. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, and, 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 and let's build on that. Between the two of you, if you come up with a game scenario of your own creation... How much preparation do you feel is enough? Do you, it sounds like, Glenn, you would have a very loose outline of maybe two or three things that would be like start to finish of what you want to tell. How do you do that? Uh, well, uh, with the Amnesia game, it was, I had kind of, you know, key points I wanted to hit. Uh, I take some time to do up like some stat blocks and stuff so that I'm not having to try to remember numbers at the same time. But, sure. but aside from that, I keep it a fairly loose, like, here are, the, here are going to be the primary points, and I'm going to let them, let my players kind of decide where they're going to go, how they're going to pace themselves through that. And then if I need to, I can throw something in and, and give them a nudge if need be. Sure. So, I mean, it, but then again, if I'm doing a module, uh, I'd like to at least read it through a couple of times first. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> you know, just make sure I've got notes and make sure that the stats or whatever that are in there are correct because typos happen and sometimes I'll be running something. I'm like, that number is not right. And everything's now like I'm doing math in my head in the middle of running and then I'm distracted. Yeah. I'm not focusing on the narrative. Uh, so I try to do a lot of that stuff ahead of time, but that's just, you know, but I feel like you can pace that part sure. of it out. So, okay. Now when I ran, <clears throat> and this was, you know, like 15 years ago when I actually ran Dirgewood and not like the half-hearted attempt I did like <laughs> a year and a half ago. It's I more like four years. <laughs> oh, God, that's, we were at Forbes Place. Yes, it, it was. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's where we started the villains game. <sighs> I am so horrible. <laughs> what I ended up doing is creating, because the first one that I ran, I planned out all sorts of stuff. And then I learned very quickly after I actually ran that game that, you know, like 60% of it, waste of time. Because we didn't even go near it. And then I learned <laughs> that, and I changed my approach in that I had like a number of things that I would like to happen to tell this particular portion of the story. But then I also created an actual timeline of day one the people of the city are doing these things so mm -hmm. that if people go to store A, 
the bits of the story are kind of living and breathing without the characters necessarily being there. And if they're not there at that moment in time, they might miss that particular piece, but maybe they'll hear about it in rumors later on to try to keep like a living, breathing, moving thing going that's on a, around the very characters. Cool. I've thought about doing that too. Which, I, you know, it's been like 15 years since I did it. I don't think it, I felt that it was too difficult to do. It was just mm-hmm. like, you know, I want people are going to go to the mercantile around this time and they're going to talk about these things with these particular characters are going to be there, so on and so forth. People are going to be at the saloon. People are going to be doing this and that. And, you know. And I think usually the biggest issue with, with something like that is, you know, especially if your players are going to have an effect on that storyline, is that you don't want to plan too much out because suddenly if, if they do something big and dramatic, suddenly it's shifting that those events possibly. You know, it's always that, that toss-up of kind of judging how far yeah. are my players going to get because uh, as, as we both know, sometimes we show up to a game and we might get, you know, 10 feet down a hallway and that's all the further we've gotten yeah. due to various other things. And other times we might blow through an entire dungeon in one night. Yeah. You know, that's uh, very true. so it, it is very variable. I think what I ended up doing though is like 20% of that dealt with the story mm-hmm. at large that we were currently engaged in and the rest of it was kind of world building. Okay. So it was like all these things are happening and if you happen to be there at that moment in time, you might learn something more about the the city mm-hmm. or other things that are going on or maybe future things that we're going to touch on, you know, in in another session or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, actually, kind of going along with that, you reminded me of uh, my friend Rob Crawl's first Robotech game because he had he had emailed me before he ran it and asked me if I was interested. I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, we only had like four players starting out. And he was like, how much should I prepare? You know, and I told him at the time, I'm like, you know, players will throw every plan you have right out the window. So don't, you know, come up with a few rough ideas, but don't get too locked in. Well, he went and wrote like 30 pages of, uh, of documentation and, and the whole bit backstory and the whole bit. And uh, by the midpoint of the first session, two of the player characters had executed the primary NPC that was a quest giver uh, <laughs> because they, they tried to uh, shoot someone that was holding the person hostage and instead shot the hostage. And, uh, and Rob just, opened his notebook and gathered his pages and ripped them all up. And he's like, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> he, he recovered and he did uh, glorious things with that game and uh, our ineptitude and, un, you know, total misunderstanding of how three-dimensional space works. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was eye opening for him. And he, he was like, yes, I should not have uh, detailed that out quite so much. <laughs> um, my final question, and I'm going to throw this out to the both of you. If, a, a beginning storyteller game master is not going to jump in and do eight plus characters. Unless you're me. Well, you're, you're a little <laughs> insane. Do you recommend the sink or swim? Do you go just, if you want to handle eight, just jump right to eight. Or do you recommend just getting a little bit of experience under your belt to expand to a larger group? Which do you think is better? And we'll start with, we'll start with Glenn this time. Um, God, no, do not jump into eight players. <laughs> I had the luxury that when I first started playing, I had one player when I first started running. Okay. So I had I had the experience that I only had to I only had to manage one person, and then I went up to two players. Actually, my group grew perfectly because it went from one to two to three to four to five. 
So I, I had I had the nice gradual steps. I could not imagine the absolute mess I would have been in if I had just on shown up and was like, all right, let's play D and D. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, eight of you. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 that's what would have been what I was doing. Because running your first game, for most people, and this is not everybody, but most people, it's a daunting thing. I know people who have been players for 20-plus years before they finally step behind that screen. And a lot of them are downright terrified. I mean, these are people who know the yeah. systems inside mm -hmm. and out. But it's a completely different experience on the other side of that screen. And trying to manage eight players whose sole purpose on the planet is to derail anything you have planned. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot to take on your first time out. Yeah. Uh, so for me, um, actually, the first game I ran was a second edition D&D &D one, uh, and I think I had six players, and it grew to eight rather rapidly. It was at uh, uh, Gamers Anonymous and Stevens Point. Okay. And uh, uh, so it was at, you know, in the university center, and uh, it, was a, it was an eye-opening experience. I ran that for a few sessions, and then interest waned. You know, and, and I was a new DM, and I, I, I get that. You know, and then I ran a Nightbane game that was kind of similar, but it was a new system and or a different system, and learned my lesson that you don't leave heavy machine guns lying around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, most of my games have typically uh, been very large. Uh, I do. I would recommend you start small because uh, four players is great. You can get a lot done. You get to move a lot quicker. Uh, you get to focus on your characters more. Uh, so I, I I enjoy and kind of prefer running like a little four player game more so than the than a big game. But the big games can also be a lot of fun. So. Yeah. But I don't ever rec recommend anyone ever play a 12-player game of uh, Rifts where everyone's either operating power armor, giant robots, or is a uh, cyborg. Because um, we spent four hours on one round of combat. <laughs> well, Rifts is kind of yeah. like that, though. It is. And it was it was brutal. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think my first experience, and that was running the Dirgewood game, seven people. Mm-hmm. And I think it ran about six or eight sessions. Yeah, it was like six or eight sessions, and we finished it up. And yeah, I think, at, like I said, the first one was a little rough, and then after that it got a little bit easier. But mm -hmm. that group that we were playing with was very role... They were, it was more, they were more interested in the role play than the rolling. Mm -hmm. And... And I was running a White Wolf. Yeah, so. and, and that's good. I mean... <clears throat> If you've got a lot of players, you you actually kind of want more roleplay because that is one of those things that's going to keep your players vested when their character isn't taking an active interaction. Yeah, you know, I, I don't mind a whole lot of table talk as long as say it's two characters, two players doing it in character with their characters. Yeah. You know that I get. You know, and and I'm okay with that. Just keep the volume down so I can hear what's going on with the other people. Yeah. Also, if you're going to split up your party, please split up with people sitting next to you. <laughs> <laughs> because yes. th that also helps minimize the table talk because then you're not shouting over each other. <laughs> yeah, now I've been in that situation, and yeah, that does get that does get pretty rough. So you, uh, so you guys both started out big. All right. Yeah. Although my initial DM experience was probably not like most people because I DM my first game at nine. Yeah, and I yeah. was... Having you know, never played the game before. 
I think I was 26 or 27. <laughs> I think I was uh, 18. Yeah. 18 or no, 19. Would okay. Have been. Yeah. Oh, All right. But a game since the seventh grade. So that was good. Yeah. I didn't start gaming until I was a, I think I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. See, that can be your whole next show. When did you start gaming? <laughs> when what was you... your first gaming experience? <laughs> I, I think that, that would be something where I would like to have a, a lot of people. That would be uh, cool. Talk about that. And what, and what was your it. first big character? Yeah. No, I think that would be a, a great idea for a show topic. Thank you. You're welcome. That. And uh, when we Are do that, because no. <laughs> we make a lot of money doing the show. You get 20% of zero. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, wait, let me get out my core math. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next up, uh, we're just going to talk about, uh, I didn't get any submissions for Hello, My Name Is. So I just want to remind people that they can go to galacticnetcasts.com and they can go to the Adventure Party page and they can click on Hello, My Name Is and they could submit a character that they uh, have enjoyed playing and give us a few details about the character and the system that they played. And if you if you do so, and I still owe Daryl Johnston his... Uh, a certificate from from last episode and i will be getting that to you shortly daryl i promise <laughs> and uh basically just yeah share those details with us that uh that comes to us and then we will highlight your you and your character for that particular show so uh give it a try uh, we'd love to talk about your character and uh with that that's the end of the show everybody uh, I want to thank John for discussing uh, managing large RPG groups thank and you. the pros and cons. Uh, it was very, very good discussion. The discussion. mental health background helps. It, I can only imagine. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, you went to college. Psychology is what you majored in. Yes. So yeah. can only imagine as you're writing down, like, okay, I need to make sure this guy here is... Uh, <laughs> I think it happened uh, to manage you freaks. <laughs> well, yeah. I. It really does come in <laughs> handy. It really, really does. I, we are a very interesting and eclectic. It's probably the most eclectic group that I think that I have gamed with. That's a nice, nice way of putting that. I'm a very diplomatic guy. <laughs> so I wanted to let people know you can find uh, the Adventure Party by going to galacticnetcast.com. And there you can find all of our social media outlets and our YouTube channel where you can see the video versions that we do of the Adventure Party. We do this on Google Hangouts every Saturday evening, uh, 9 o'clock. Typically, unless something comes up where we need to change that, but we do announce if we're going to move the show to a different day or time. So you can always check us out on the YouTubes. Uh, you can also, if you're listening to us in your headphones or on your computer, you probably know that we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, please take a moment to uh, give us a review and let us know what you think. Your review, positive or negative, can help shape the show. If you think it's crap, let us know what you think is crap and we can change it. Uh, if you think something's cool and we should do more of it, well, let us know. Your input will definitely help make the show a little bit better. Uh, you can also leave us uh, feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com or you can call uh, 805-328-3966. That's 805-328-3966. And you can leave a message or you can also text us at that number and uh, rates do apply. You can also go to galacticnetcasts.com and we have a plug in there, which is really awesome, where on the right hand side of the page, there's a little thing there you can click. And if your computer has a microphone attached to it, you can leave us a message directly on there and that gets emailed to us and we will uh, get, get it right away. And uh, we will highlight you if you uh, leave us some feedback uh, in that manner. And we would love to talk more about it. And that's, 
that's the show. Thank you very much for joining the adventure party. And uh, we always wish that your characters never die and your adventures are always epic. Thank you and good night, everybody. Good night. You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.GalacticNetcasts.com.